Well, Jason Simon, uh, thanks for being on Life on the Rock. And I just wanted to do a little podcast and get a little bit of your backstory because you have a great conversion story that really shapes your work today. I think it's fair to say. <laughs> but tell us about your, your up- upbringing and what happened. Sure. I grew up in a evangelical Protestant home, really great parents, uh, great grandparents uh, who all taught me about Jesus and uh, were focused on living for Jesus. And it was a, I grew up in a, in a home that uh, was, was, you know, fairly strict, but, um, you know, very loving parents. My dad hugged me, said he loved me all the time. And we had a, a, a great relationship for the most part. You know, you have your conflicts and your fights, but um, but I, I no significant a, father wound. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's no, got a father wound. Right, 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 right. <laughs> well, it might be in there somewhere. But <laughs> no, I had. It was a a, a great relationship, um, very supportive. But as I as I grew up in the church, uh, I felt restless and I felt an urge to to just be crazier and take more risks in my life. I had a motorcycle that my dad. Uh, foolishly let me drive when I was 16. Mm. And so I got my driver's license with the car and then he let me get my motorcycle's license. And I, you know, definitely uh, tried to kill myself on that thing many times. <laughs> uh-huh. And just, it was such a rush. And I think there just weren't enough outlets for for risk and uh, adrenaline in the church that, I, that we were part of. And so I started looking for that in the world. Mm. And kind of led me, led me into some darkness for a few years. And um, my freshman year of college, I came home from a party, and I was I was drunk, and the room was spinning, and I you know I, I was not not good. There were many areas in my life that were not good with God, and uh, even like I had a I had a part time job on campus, and I would steal office supplies and justify mm. them, yeah. justify it. You know I'm poor college kid, I deserve this, and they're not right. paying me enough. And so I was just kind of following yeah. this path uh, away from integrity, away from truth, away from light. And but you grew up too, I remember you mentioned before yeah. that you, your dad would pray every morning. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was, both my parents, I have, I have really crisp memories of seeing them pray in the morning. You know, I would get up and they'd already be up and I have this image of my dad under a lamp kneeling on the floor with his elbows on the couch, praying um, just very devoutly mm-hmm. in the morning. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they, it was it was just all around me. I mean, it, at Christmas with my grandparents and, and my parents and cousins and aunts and uncles, my grandpa would, um, after Christmas Eve um, church service, we'd go back to their place and my grandpa, I'd be itching to open presents, couldn't wait to open the presents, and my grandpa would say, well, let's read from the scriptures. And then he would read like one of the infancy narratives <laughs> oh, right. about Jesus. Yeah. Took forever as a kid. I'm just like, come on, Grandpa, <laughs> let's go. Let's get to the presence. But he would he'd read the whole thing. And then when he was done reading it, he would turn around off his chair, kneel on the ground, put his elbows on the chair. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would just start thanking the Lord for coming and being a baby and rescuing mm-hmm. us and I mean, all of us would turn around and kneel when yeah, he did. And, yeah. and that prayer, then people would spontaneously pray, pray and thank the Lord for coming. And, you know, it was this beautiful kind of offering of thanksgiving as a family. So that's just the culture I grew up in. And what, 
What church was it? That you were it was Assemblies of God. Okay. It was the kind of church I grew up in. Mm-hmm. It was it was great. We had a great Sunday school, school program. We had to memorize tons of Bible verses, and yeah. I loved it. I and loved, that's in Green I loved Bay, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yep. And you're glad with uh, the quarterback's move here? What's his name? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Aaron Rodgers has been, he's been good to us in Green Bay. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it seemed like he was itching to leave. So, yeah, yeah I think Time today's to the trade. On the, on the day of this recording, it got finalized. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, hopefully he does well in New York. But, yeah, we're, we're in Green Bay, we're ready to move on, I think, yeah. in general. <laughs> Did you grow up like in a farming community or you were in the yep. city? Are yeah, we were farm? out in the country. Okay. We didn't have a farm. We had four acres. We had kind yeah. of a hobby farm. My dad yeah. uh, my dad grew up, both my parents grew up in North Dakota. Uh-huh. My dad grew up in the country on a farm in North Dakota. Uh-huh. So he had the itch for, we, bought, we got a horse, we had chickens, rabbits, you know, mm-hmm. dog, cat, all that. Hmm. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's the environment mm-hmm. I grew up in. Uh, we had four acres, but we, we had neighbors and yeah. You know, my friends and I would go catch uh, crayfish in the creek and, yeah. you know, run around the neighborhood. Right, right. So. And then you went to college where? I started, well, I, um, uh, when I graduated from high school, I went to Marquette University because they gave, gave me a scholarship mm-hmm. and um, didn't think anything of it being Catholic at all. Yeah. I don't even know if I knew it was Catholic at the time. Mm-hmm. Certainly never went to mass there or anything. I'd drive off campus and, and go to church. Yeah. Um, but uh, the uh, I started realizing the professors that had SJ at the end of their name, they were really good professors. And mm-hmm. so I started looking for SJs to teach my physics class, calculus class. I always wanted, really? to, yeah. I always wanted to find an SJ. Yeah. And I actually huh. took a philosophy class at Marquette that, uh, that got me thinking at a new level like mm. I, I i had this kind of awakening intellectually realizing i have never thought about things before <laughs> you know we're <laughs> reading plato's dialogues uh-huh. and and uh, studying socrates and plato and um yeah. aristotle and i just i just gobbled it up i loved it i loved like thinking about the metaphysics yeah. of things i had All never right. thought about these things before i went to yeah. public school in high school and just mm. n- never was exposed to deeper thinking and uh, mm. thinking about the existence, thinking about how we know things, you know, right. that was all very new to me. It blew my mind. I came home from college and told my dad, I'm going to switch to philosophy because uh-huh. I was an engineering major. Uh-huh. He said, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> he, well, wisely, he didn't let me. I yeah. went on to get a theology degree, so I got, I got my itch scratched later. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you switched schools to? Yeah. So I went to Marquette for two and a half years. Yeah. It, was, it was even with my scholarship it was very expensive. But the main mm-hmm. problem was I I just got in with all the wrong friends. Oh. So um, so that night when I got home and the room was spinning, I was at Marquette yeah. and I was drunk and I was not happy. Usually I tried to read my Bible when I got home, even if I was drinking. Uh-huh. But this night I, I just remember being too drunk to read my Bible. The little words where yeah. you know I wasn't able to read, right. and I went crawled up in my top bunk and I was laying there, and I uh, heard a voice uh, in my heart. It wasn't like an audible voice, but it was very clear, and I st- still remember uh, the voice said, um, "What kind of man are you becoming, Jason?" Hmm. And you know I just remember he used my name and asked me that question, which was just probed me. And I answered back, 
uh, I think I answered out loud, not a good man. Mm. And, and then uh, the voice returned with another question, what kind of man do you want to become? And mm. I answered back without even thinking, like a man like my dad and his friends. Mm. And that, that, set, that conversation, I went to sleep, woke up the next morning, immediately grabbed my Bible and, and wanted to have a prayer time because I, I knew it was real. I knew I was I knew Jesus was calling me out of out of the darkness I was right. in. And so I started scratching and clawing to get out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as part of the journey to scratch and claw out of it, I realized all my friends at Marquette just wanted me to keep partying, mm-hmm. wanted me to stay in the darkness. I mean I, I would go, I didn't want to be alone, so I'd go out to the party with them, not drink. They'd be shoving beers in my hands, putting cigarettes in my mouth, you know, just trying to hold on to the friendship that they had with me in the way that it was. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't escape there. So I felt like the Lord was calling me to go to University of Wisconsin-Madison, which is hour and a half away. But I had, I had some friends there who were better influences on me. And immediately I met a bunch of Christians there. So um, that, that started my, my growth. Uh, out of the darkness. I was still trapped. Um, but one day I was running on campus and I, I remember I was out running. It was sunny. It was a spring day, puddles everywhere. And I was really kind of tortured inside because I still had this longing for, um, for the darkness of my past. I still had this kind of boredom about Christianity, uh, even though I was living with Christian friends at the time. And I was out, out for a run and all of a sudden I hear this this man call my name Jason Jason and I turn around it was this guy I had met four months earlier I didn't recognize him but turns out I had met him four months earlier mm-hmm. he remembered my name called out to me went back and started talking to him he said do you remember me I said I said you look familiar and he's like yeah we met four months ago at church mm-hmm. and I just saw you running that's crazy and and so mm-hmm. we just had a conversation there on the wall about school and life and what brought me to Madison and because we had met when I was at Marquette and um, uh, he I started leaving to to finish my run and he said what are you doing tomorrow and I said I don't know and he said I'll buy you lunch hmm. and so we got together for lunch and then he continued getting to know me asked about my upbringing where I'm from hmm. if I, was I raised Christian. Uh, and then, then he asked, how are you doing with your faith? And I, I just remember that question kind of breaking through my facade. Yeah. I stopped acting like I was okay. Mm-hmm. Started tears started running down my cheeks and I just said, I'm not good. Things aren't, aren't good. And Even at the new place. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just, I still was, I mean, maybe it's because I was Protestant. I didn't have confession. Uh, I just feel, still felt dirty. You know, I had spent yeah. four years lying to my parents habitually, doing whatever I right. wanted to do. I had asked Jesus to forgive me, but I still felt heavy. Yeah. I still felt shame. I still felt condemned. I still felt restless, like I kind of wanted to go back there again, but I didn't because I knew yeah. that was a prison. And um, so, yeah, I just uh, was still in a pretty raw, raw spot, and mm-hmm. he, he just tapped it. And, um, and what I find interesting too, he's only, you said he's like his early 30s. Yeah, he's right? probably 10 years older than me at yeah. the time. Yeah. And yeah. he he just seemed like he had a great pastoral way about it. He did. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. He did. Yeah. 
Well, and it turns out that he was he was taking care of a lot of guys mm-hmm. on campus, and uh, kind of had a little ministry going where he was taking care of people and and mentoring young men like me into yeah. discipleship. And he was like self-employed doing that? Or? Well, he was in sales in Milwaukee. And yeah. then when he came to Madison, when I met him, mm-hmm. he was just starting a kind of a campus missionary position on okay. campus. Okay. So he had left his sales career. Yeah. I didn't know that at the time. I thought yeah. he was still in sales. But yeah, it turns out he was he had left his sales job to, to be a campus missionary. So he was like... He's working with the school, with the school's approval? And stuff. No, because University of Wisconsin's a public school. Yeah. It was just kind of a, they call them in the Protestant world, a parachurch group. Okay. You know, and like they have these different ministry groups on mm-hmm. campus. Sometimes they're recognized by the school and given some student org funding. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're not. Okay. Yeah. So you would meet every week? Yeah, so day? every week for two years we met. Wow. And he taught me how to pray, and he taught me how to pray with Scripture, and then he taught me about the importance of going to church on Sunday. He taught mm. me about the importance of community, everything. Boom, boom, boom. And uh, but then one day, so every every time I would come to the coffee shop where we met, he would have his jacket off, draped around the, the chair. He'd be sitting there with his Bible open and a notebook. <laughs> and the first time I showed up and he, to, uh, to, after that conversation when I cried and he said, I'll show you some things. Uh, the next time I showed up, he was ready to show me things. Yeah. Like he had his notebook out with notes, uh-huh. his Bible open. I walked in with my winter coat, and uh, he said, um, hey, he stood up, shook my hand, sat uh-huh. down. He said, so this is how I, I think we should do this. We'll spend the first you know, few minutes getting to know each other a little bit better, hear about your week, how things are going. But then I'll get into what I want to share with you. And I just I have some notes here that I'll use. But it'll be a conversation back and forth. I'll learn some things from you. You'll learn a lot from me, I hope. Mm-hmm. And uh, But after an hour, we'll be done. And so he always watched his clock. And yeah. after an hour, yeah. we were done. Yeah. And it was very crisp. Yeah. But one time I showed up, after about a year in, I showed up. And he had his coat on, his, no Bible or notebook on the table. And I said, what's up? And he said, let's go. And he started walking across campus. Uh-huh. And I'm trailing after him. He was bigger than me, so he's yeah. probably six four, six five, big dude. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just trying to keep up. I remember yeah. walking across campus, and I'm like, "Where are we going? Where are we going?" And so we walk right up to this dorm, and he says, um, "So we're going in here. There's a guy on the sixth floor who said he wants to talk about spiritual things. We're going to go up there, knock on his door, and see if he wants to talk." Like ah, I was blown away. A complete stranger? Are you kidding me? You're like, yeah, it'll be great. And he said, I'll do most of the talking, but at certain points you'll have stories to share from your life that'll help him. And I'll, I'll kind of say, hey, Jason, you have something to share about this. And so kind of prep me. Okay. We went up there. I was super scared. He knocked on the door. And I just like, what's going to happen? This guy's going to slam his, the door in our face. And yeah. you have all these irrational fears yeah. about uh, things and but the uh, the guy said, "Yeah, come on in. I'd love to talk." And and so then Chip, uh, the guy's name was Chip. He said, uh, "Do you, is there anything you want to talk about in particular?" And the guy said, "No, just whatever you want to share. It'd be yeah. great to hear." And you know, yeah. he was an unbeliever. Yeah. Um, and uh, Chip said, "Well, why don't I just share the good news about Jesus with you?" And the and the guy said. Sounds great. <laughs> you know, he's an open book, and and so Chip walked walked him through the the kind of the four main points of the kerygma, uh-huh. and just said, you know, the world 
the world's not 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 right, is it? Yeah. All's not all's not perfect outside, is it? And, not even Wisconsin. Yeah, not even Wisconsin. <laughs> and and uh, the guy said, no, that's for sure. And, yeah. And Chip said, yeah, but the world was created good. It was created perfect by God. He didn't yeah. create it this way. Right. And the guy said, oh, what, well, in, in your view, what happened? And, yeah. and then he said, well, we sinned. We turned away from God and a cosmic break happened. Yeah. And things went wrong with creation. Things went wrong with us. Mm-hmm. And we all experienced that. And then that's when he brought me in. Like, Jason, you've experienced the brokenness of this world a couple times yeah. in life. I want to share a story. Yeah. With the guy, and so yeah. I happened to share about a really good friend of mine who had committed suicide, mm. uh, just to illustrate the brokenness of the world. Yeah. And the guy said, "Yeah, I had a friend commit suicide too." Yeah. And then we talked about that a little bit. Yeah, and then, you mentioned that. You know, there's a guy when I was in yeah. college, he committed suicide on our floor. Yeah, and uh, and I remember being shocked by it, but I didn't have. I was just kind of baffled by it, you mm-hmm. know. I didn't have, I didn't have any way of like really understanding it, you know. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. My friend overdosed. She intentionally overdosed on some pills. Yeah. Actually, she changed her mind and tried to get her, tried to get to the hospital and yeah. stomach pump, but it was too late. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, we talked about that, mm-hmm. but then then Chip told them about Jesus and how Jesus came to rescue us from the sin, how his his life heals us and heals the world. Um, and, and if we receive him in faith, we can have his life right. in us and have a relationship with us. Do you want to pray that prayer? Mm-hmm. And, and the guy said, yeah, I'll pray a prayer, a, a prayer of faith. I'd, I'd love to have that life in me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, so right there, the guy yeah. prays the, a prayer of commitment to be a Christian. And, and it was, mm-hmm. it was beautiful. So I walked out of there pumped like wow this is like this is it you just made a disciple this is what jesus wants us to do make disciples and i was like i was so excited and um, i just think like the guys i was in college with i remember one time they had like these fundamentalists came and they were trying to basically debunk evolution or yeah evolution i was at an engineering school and I don't, we didn't mock him, but I mean, later we kind of laughed and there was like some snickering. I think we, I was thinking back later, I thought it was, the crowd was largely respectful, but it was very simplistic. Yeah, you know, it wasn't, yes. it was it was very simplistic. And it was like, I just remember it was just completely unconvicted. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, so, right. That's amazing. You had a, yeah, you, you got yeah. You guys had a catch there. Well, this it's the you know it's different different to talk about something more ideological yeah, like like evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he was he I think he was I think the way he did it tapped into this guy's sense of brokenness. Right. Right. And in the common experience that we all have that this world isn't right. Right. I mean, there's beauty in the world. There's beautiful people in the world, but man, there's a lot of hurt and pain yeah. and brokenness yeah. and. I just think the guy realized, oh yeah, and man, a God that would want to rescue us from that—that's that's a God I want to believe in. Yeah. So yeah, just it connected. Yeah. I I remember being—I mean, I was a Sunday Catholic at the time. I was going to church on Sundays, but I didn't know my faith well when I was in college, and and I took this uh, kind of like a naturalist literature class. These writers, naturalist writers, that would write about Canadian geese and mm-hmm. migration and you know, connected to some life themes and stuff. But I remember being taken by it. And I, I just remember this one author describing like this mystical experience he had in nature, like looking at nature. Mm. And I and I remember I just, 
I really wanted more. Like, what was that? I remember I just hungered for something supernatural. And I, I was like involved like with Ayn Rand philosophy, you know, mm. this real rationalistic kind of secular atheistic thing. And I, I remember it just surprised me. I didn't even, I wasn't even aware I was hungry for it. But when I heard about it, there's a super, a real, even though I was in church every Sunday, <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't, I didn't have an experience, yeah. a real experience of the supernatural. Yes. But, uh, I, I had a friend once that I felt just in prayer, I felt called to give him a call and, and mm. ask if I could come and, you know, share my story with him. Yeah. And we were good friends in high school. He was one of the guys I used to party with. And, yeah. and I, I went to his house and uh, I said, hey, I just felt called to come here and tell you what's happened in my life yeah. uh, since, since we were hanging out in high school. Yeah. He said, great. And so I, <laughs> so I just shared. I shared a lot of the story yeah. I just shared with you. And um, he said, wow, this is amazing. Just, just yesterday, I was driving and I saw a sunset. The sunset was so beautiful. And I just knew there was something beyond me. Yeah. Like he had kind of a similar wow, wow. beautiful, yeah. like kind of yeah. mystical experience with nature. Right. That led right. him to to start thinking about what's what's beyond us and what and what who who created beauty. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know. It yeah. does arouse questions. Yeah. So you were still studying engineering at that point? Yeah. But, I stayed with engineering. Yeah. I, uh -huh. I I got an undergraduate degree okay. in engineering mm. yeah and i was still protestant mm -hmm. um uh to later in uh toward the end of college this girl i had dated in in high school was a was a strong catholic and her family was the first real uh obvious disciples of jesus that were catholics that i had ever met every catholic i knew growing up you know, the, the family barely, barely believed that they believed at all. You know, the kids were, the kids were some of the meanest kids in school. You know, like all the friends I partied with, they're all fallen away Catholics. Yeah, yeah. So I just did not have a good impression of Catholics. I didn't right. take it seriously. Yeah. Um, so Holly was right on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the music was horrible. I, I had gone to some Catholic masses and I just was yeah. like, I couldn't believe how bad the music was. <laughs> you know, the right. homilies never connected with me. Yeah. And so, um, but her family, uh, she, uh, her family had, they had 15 kids and the girl I was dating was the second youngest of the mm. 15. And I went over there for dinner one night cause mm. we'd been dating for a couple months and she wanted me to meet her parents and they were old, you know, because mm. she was the second youngest of 15. Mm. Um, and we had dinner together and after dinner, uh, her dad said, well, sweetie, why don't you go get the lectionary? You know, this is like the mid, this is the early 90s. Mm -hmm. So there's no phone apps. There's no Laudate. Right. There's, there's no <laughs> EWTN app, you know. Uh -huh. And the only way you get the daily readings is the, the lectionary. They, <laughs> she, they brought over, not a Bible, a huge red lectionary <laughs> that I identified as a huge Bible. <laughs> and so, uh, but her dad broke it open, looked up the daily readings, and we read all the daily readings Huh. And had a little scripture discussion after dinner together. Huh. I was blown away. I couldn't, yeah. I didn't know Catholics liked the Bible. I mean, right. I, I didn't know they cared about Jesus. And yeah. uh, so that girl and I dated uh, throughout college, except for a year and a half. We broke up. When I started getting ser serious about my faith, I realized I could never marry a Catholic. And so we broke up. Mm -hmm. And um, 
but while we were broken up, we stayed in touch and she gave me uh, Scott Hahn's Rome Sweet Home book. And I put it on the shelf. I never read it, but I was, I was driving out to California. So she wasn't giving up, right? No, no. <laughs> no, she wanted to get back together. She's like, we don't have to be the same. This uh-huh, is fine. Yeah, I'll be Catholic. Yeah. You be Protestant. Uh-huh, and yeah. I knew enough about the church because I, I had read a bunch of the catechism and I had, yeah. I, had, I had been talking to a lot of people about it. I knew that if I married her, I'd have to commit to, if we had a Catholic wedding, I'd have to commit to raising the kids Catholic. And I just uh-huh. told her I'm not doing that. And so you read like the new catechism. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, this would be, uh, this, this would have been in 94, 95. Yeah. 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 So I, she would study, I'd be done with my homework and I would read the catechism and argue with it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Cause I'm so smart, you yeah, know, yeah. with my extensive <laughs> theological knowledge. So, you know, but the, the hubris was, was definitely in full swing uh but yeah i just i didn't i did not at all feel called to become catholic Mm -hmm. but i was driving out to california i I wanted a book to read i looked up my shelf and saw scott hahn's book rome sweet home and like oh what the heck i'll bring it with me and i read it on the way out to california and and when i got to california i thought the pope was a really good idea wow just the 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 book just it was the first apologetics book that I had read where Protestants were treated charitably, you know, yeah, like he, he right. sucked me in because yeah. he had such a, he didn't have, have animosity toward his Calvinist roots. Right. He, yeah. he spoke very um, honorably about yeah. the yeah. way he was raised and the faith he was given. And I resonated with that. Yeah. And um, so I kept reading and just found their story compelling and a lot of his arguments compelling. Not not all of them. I mean, yeah. I still thought the Mary stuff was crazy. Yeah. But um, yeah, when I got to California, I I started arguing with my friends about the Pope and why we needed a Pope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that that sw- switched my mindset to well, maybe I could marry this girl. Mm. And so we started writing letters, and um, and we did get married. We got married before I was Catholic, but I was okay. As soon as I was okay raising the kids Catholic, as soon as I thought it was legit, yeah, yeah. Um, we got married. And then and then about nine months after we got married, I, I became Catholic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's a great story. And then somewhere in all that, right, you went to Notre Dame, didn't you? Or- yeah, so then I graduated with engineering. I worked for two years as an engineer. Mm-hmm. And uh, a priest called me out of, the, out, out of the blue and said, hey, I'm looking for... A director of religious ed and youth ministry that doesn't fit the mold and mm-hmm. i said father i definitely don't fit the mold i've only been catholic for a year yeah. and i just bought a house that i need to pay for and i've, I've got a wife or want to raise a family you can't afford me yeah. and uh, he said well give me a shot and so yeah. he took me out to dinner and we talked about uh john paul ii the whole time in the new evangelization and he was fired up about it and was that in Green Bay? Or? That was in Madison. Madison. Yeah, that's where we were living. Oh. Yeah, and um, he fired me up. And I I said, well, this is a great conversation. If if you can pay me enough to keep my house, yeah. then I'll come work for you. Wow. So I did. I, I jumped. I jumped over and I worked for him for four years in the parish. And I loved it. I loved What was his name? I loved doing it. Monsignor Kevin Holmes oh. is his name. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Really good priest. Um yeah, he, and actually, when my wife was in college, he was her confessor, oh. and he just, you know, he helped her a lot in college, and then I got to work for him for four years. Okay. So, 
Um, you had six children, right? Or at the time, we had none. Uh-huh. We were struggling with infertility. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I was working at the parish. She was working in the, at the campus ministry at the Uni- University of Wisconsin Madison. Okay. Um, and uh, but we both realized we needed uh, we needed more theological formation. So that's when yeah. we went to Notre Dame. Oh, yeah. You actually moved there. We moved there. Yeah, we wow. went did the MDiv program for three years. So we we lived in South Bend for three years and. I went wow. to all the football games. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. You know, Notre Dame gets a bad rep, but I got I got a great education there and, and re- met some awesome people, awesome priests. Oh. Um, yeah, it was, it was I mean, you, you, you kind of get the good, bad, and ugly there. Yeah. Um, but I, I also kind of, I wanted, I wanted to hear all the perspectives and right. all the, everything on the spectrum, because if I'm going to, if I'm going to work in the church, I want to know what people are thinking, you know, and I want to know how to talk to different groups. Mm -hmm. So the diversity of thought that I got at Notre Dame, you know, even the, even the ugly stuff was really, really good for me. But, uh, but along the way, I always had good mentors who were, you know, who I could talk to about stuff when I was tripping on, you know, I'm like, Moses didn't exist. What? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. You know, you just hear crazy things. Yeah. You know, yeah. the historical Jesus and, yeah. uh, you know, everything you read in the Gospels is not true. Like, what? well, then what are we, what are we doing? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. until your mind would spin with some of the stuff. Right. But then I just always had mentors that I could go back to with questions. and. Yeah. And how did your parents react to it? Oh, yeah. Well, luckily, I, I grew up in, in a, more of a charismatic Protestant mm-hmm. tradition, you know, a lot of lot of emphasis in the Holy Spirit and the mysterious ways of the Holy Spirit, and He doesn't always do what we expect, mm-hmm. you know. So that that theology, that spirituality, really helped them okay. because um, because they know they knew me, they knew my conversion, they knew mm-hmm. about Chip. I became a, a leader with ministry organizations on campus later in college. They just knew me, and so when I when I told them I was called to the Catholic Church, they they believed it. They could ex- accept mm. it, um, but I did not tell them when I was becoming Catholic because mm-hmm. I just I thought coming to the mass and seeing me become Catholic would be yeah. too much. So, yeah. um, so actually, I told them like a week or two after I become Catholic. Oh, by yeah. the way, I became Catholic. Yeah. Um, and so, kind of word word kind of trickled through my family that yeah. I become Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a day when my dad realized I really believed it. Yeah, I think he thought I became Catholic kind of to be a missionary to the Catholics. Uh-huh. Um, but there was one Sunday when I was uh, insistent on going to Mass with, with my wife, Grace. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, oh, come on. You don't yeah. have to go. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, I do, Dad. This is, this is a matter of obedience, and I also uh-huh. want to receive the Eucharist. Uh-huh. You believe in the Eucharist? I said, yeah, I'm Catholic. <laughs> he said, well, where is that in the Bible? And I yeah. said, John 6. You can look it up. It's yeah. in John 6. Yeah. Yeah. You find another way to explain what happens in that chapter. Yeah. And, uh, and that, was, that was the last time we had a conversation about our differences. Other yeah. than, you know, since then, yeah. he's, he's not asked me questions, and I've not pressed it, and we, yeah. I just love him for his faith, and yeah. he loves me for the same you know, he probably loves the grandkids now. Oh right? <laughs> yeah, and he, actually now, if my wife and I go out of town, he takes them all to mass. 
Oh, he he really? and my mom take them all to mass. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They're they're awesome. Yeah. And in this past Easter vigil, because in the Protestant church they don't have vigils, they don't have yeah. an Easter vigil. Um, but my dad's gone before, and he he really likes it because they do all the seven readings. There's yeah. tons of scripture. There's <laughs> salvation history. Yeah. He loves he loves the baptism, the adult baptisms, like the whole yeah. thing. He just loves it. Wow. And so this year, even though he didn't have to, he's like, yeah. "Hey, can we come to the vigil with you?" <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you know, he's feeling he's feeling more at home in mass, you mm-hmm. know, which is which is beautiful because he's gone a lot now. Yeah. So. And Chip, did, whatever happened to Chip? Yeah, good question. <laughs> well, we we stay in touch on LinkedIn. He, you know, he's back in sales, ah. uh, but I need to go back and have dinner yeah. dinner with him and and catch yeah. up. It's been a long time since we got together. Yeah. I we got married. He moved campuses with the organization he was with, mm-hmm. and so we were separated. I got busy, you know, yeah. with yeah. the career, and and so I think so did he. So. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're not in super close touch, except by LinkedIn, occasional messages. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then how did you find your way to evangelical Catholic there? Yeah, well, after we were done with mm-hmm. Notre Dame, we were, my wife and I were looking for jobs all over the country. Uh-huh. And um, so I should say that the, the founder of the evangelical Catholic taught my RCIA class when I was becoming Catholic. Mm. And so um, he was a really crucial mentor for me. He was a former Protestant minister uh, who had um, grown up Catholic, become a Protestant minister, came back to the Catholic Church. Mm. And so he just he just knew where I was coming from. He answered a ton of my questions. Some other questions he wouldn't answer. He would just say, well, I think the Holy Spirit needs to show you that. And because ah. he could tell I was just argumentative and yeah, yeah. kind of um, not, not in a teachable place. Right. Uh, but yeah, he founded the Evangelical Catholic during those years when I was becoming Catholic mm-hmm. uh, because he just he could see that the Catholic Church needed help and the laity needed more training for evangelization. And that na- Evangelical Catholicism, I, I think I read that it was uh, the Honorary Cardinal came up with that terminology. Um, just spacing on Dulles? It. Yeah, Dulles. Yeah, yeah. Dulles. Yeah. Dulles did, um, I don't know if he coined the term, but he used to talk about it. And yeah. he'd write in first things about it. Okay. He was an early um, early patron of ours. Like he would he would come to our, even when we were very small, he would come to our conferences. He was really encouraging us and urging us uh, wow. to, to get this thing going. He just, he loved it. He loved wow. what uh, my mentor Tim was doing. He saw the need to, to form and train laity for evangelization. He just was so excited about it. So, and That's he so remained a friend until his passing. Yeah, you know, he—I never would have guessed that. You know, about him. I, I remember meeting him here and reading his works and stuff. And uh, and he seemed, you know, so uh, academic, like a real theologian. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, he's and, legit. Yeah. 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 And but he had a heart for young people. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, because in the t- at the time we were working mostly with college campuses, uh-huh. and um, our conferences were largely college students. Some parishioners would come, but we were really working mostly with young people because because we were all young at the time. Right, right. <laughs> and yeah. um, the year John Paul II died, uh, they they asked him to come to Rome to mm-hmm. go to the mass. Mm-hmm. And he was slated to be a keynote speaker at a conference we were doing in Madison. And he chose to come and be with us instead of go to Rome for the funeral. 
And, and in the keynote, he said, he told us that he was invited to come to Rome. He loved John Paul II. He wished he could be there, but he couldn't pass up the opportunity to, to be with the young people who are learning to evangelize the world. And he just talked about how crucial it is that, that we all be engaged in evangelization in the world and, and not just priests. And, you know, it was a beautiful, we, we still have record of, of the keynote that he gave that day. Wow. So, yeah, and I got a picture with him that day when, <laughs> when he was there. You know, it was just, yeah. uh, it was awesome to, to have such an esteemed theologian and cardinal yeah. uh, take such an interest in our work. Yeah. And so you're married, having kids, and doing, growing this new, you didn't, you're not the founder. But, right. Um, that must have been very challenging. Oh, it was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, at the time, we, we when I so when I gradu- when we were graduating from Notre Dame, we were looking for jobs all over. Well, the I'm board sorry. called and, and asked us to work for him. Yeah. Yeah, before I forget. Yeah. So the name Evangelical Catholic. Yeah. Was the founder, where did he get it from, you think? Oh, he, well, what brought him back to the church was reading the Patristic Fathers. Okay. And he would see them talking about being Evangelical all over the place. Hmm. And, and um, you know, the root of the word is just good musical. Right. And right. so... Uh, so that was his thinking is, and he also, he used to talk about um, mutual impoverishment, that, that uh, the Catholics were impoverished because they didn't know how to evangelize. Right. And they didn't, at that time, especially in, in the 90s, there was still this kind of nascent new devotion to scripture, but there just weren't a lot of Catholics reading the Bible in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so but the, the inability to evangelize and share the good news he saw as an impoverishment of the Catholic Church. Uh-huh. On the Protestant side, evangelical Protestants, they're, they're good at evangelizing, or they have an impulse to evangelize. They have devotion to the scriptures, but they don't have the sacraments, they don't have the church, they don't have the pope, they don't have yeah. the magisterium, yeah. they're, they're impoverished. Yeah. So there's this mutual impoverishment, and when you put them together, when you put their strengths together, you, you have the greatest movements in the church. You know, you mm-hmm. have St. Ignatius of Loyola and St. Francis and St. Dominic and, you know, all these re- renewal movements that happened throughout the church history had strong devotion to the scriptures, had an evangelical impulse, had the sacraments, had, you know, had devotion to the, the teachings of the magisterium. So he just always wanted, he had this dream to see the, the strengths of the church come together. And he, he kind of saw this, he saw strengths in evangelical Protestants with obviously impoverishment. Um, but he also saw strengths in the Catholic church, but also with impoverishment. Right. And so just wanting to not bring evangelical Protestants and Catholic together, but bring, bring the fullness of the church back to its, to its identity. And so he he saw that in reading the patristics, he saw that in the patristic. Yeah, the writers. word the word evangelical. Yeah. Oh, okay. In the Literally, em- the emphasis, okay. not mutual impoverishment. Yeah, yeah. But the word evangelical just shows up all over the place. Mm, okay. And then um, in Saint Dominic was called the evangelical man. Okay, you know, and you right. just you just have these the the word in the evangelical councils you know yeah, this yeah. conforming to a life of jesus for right, mission right and um so yeah that's that's so his that was kind of his dream as the founder is that catholics would become evangelical yeah. and dulles in his first things article would say that um 
that actually, and, and uh, Cardinal Dolan would say this as well, that um, evangelical Catholic is just really redundant. There's no need for right. evangelical. Yeah. <laughs> Dallas would say that? Yeah, to yeah. be Catholic is to be yeah. evangelical. Yeah. And to be truly evangelical is to be Catholic. But he did use the term evangelical Catholic? Dulles? Yeah. Oh, yeah, all the time. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know, I got a, an icon of, uh, and I got it somewhere in Greece. We were doing a Footprints of St. Paul, and, um, and it's, a, it's an icon of icon style of like Peter embracing Paul or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And and I had heard, and I never could really find it, but I heard Pope Benedict had given an address about that, the Pauline, the Petrine dimension of the church. And I think I think he connected it somewhat the Paul to maybe even the Protestant evangelical line. The outreach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like the outreach. Yeah. And Peter, yeah, represents the I guess office and holding this truth and content yeah. to preserve yeah. it, right? Yeah. To conserve yeah. that truth. Yes, and, yes. The deposit yeah. of faith. Yeah. And there's yeah. like a tension, right? I think there's I read that. I think I think he gave that address uh, during the the year that he proclaimed to be the year of Saint Paul. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I I remember that yeah. that address. Yeah. You know, I'm just fascinated by that kind of tension. That, yes. Uh, um, because my Paul had some issues with Peter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's like there's, yeah, I mean, you see that, like energetic people that, you know, that want to do something for the Lord. I mean, kind of like, and sometimes I feel like you, we see that in Pope Francis, you know, that, that kind of like energy, you know, mm -hmm. that he wants to, to get out and whatever, bring people back and all this kind of stuff. And there's uh, maybe something of a tension of, you know, carefully doing it or doing it with the with the faith in its fullness, you know. <laughs> yes, not compromising. So, right, not yeah. compromising. I yeah. think um, I think Father Consola Mesa just recently came out with an article um, positing that Saint Paul went too far in his rebuke of Peter of Saint right, Peter. Right. Did you read that? No. no yeah. No. So just just saying that. Um, St. Paul went too far in rebuking St. Peter for eating with the Jews. Right, right. And Paul speaks of it as a very positive thing in his writing. Uh, yeah. But Consul Mesa kind of turns it around yeah. and, and says that there, there, has to be a, there has to be a way where St. Peter is allowed to, to, um, lead, to, to accompany the Jews into a fuller revolution, revelation mm -hmm. and not blow up their world by right. uh, eating pork right in front of them, right. <laughs> you know, right. whatever it is, right. whatever it was. Yeah. I just thought it was a very interesting correction. And yeah. there, there is always a tension between the movement outward and the institution, yeah. the movements and the, the institution. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I just, in his book that he does interview style, Cantola Mesa, he had a line in there about the tension between yeah, ecclesial movements and the hierarchy. And the hierarchy's guide, his role is to guide those movements. Yes. You know, So there's that tension of, I mean, you saw it with Mother Angelica at EWTN, right? Yep. It's like, um, so. And the movements challenge, challenge the status quo right. of the institution and yeah. keep it fresh. Yeah. yeah. And to me, too, it's like you see movement in Paul's thinking, because there's something, too, about uh, those issues of, 
of acting one way with the Jews and the Gentiles. But even Paul, I think he did something like that later on in his ministry where he like accommodated. I'm just blanking on what it was. Yeah. But there was some way where some way, you know, he kind of like holding back a little bit to yes. <laughs> accompany them. Right? Yes. Yes. And, uh, so. I th- well, I think it, uh, in First Corinthians nine, he says, um, "I have, um, to the Jews, I become like a Jew. To yeah. non-Jews, I become like a non-Jew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to the weak, I become weak. To the strong, I become strong. Right. Um, uh, I become all things to all people, so that I might reach as many as possible. Right. And so right. you can you can even see there yeah. that um, to to the Jews, he would be a strict Jew. Right. And I think I think the the thing he didn't like about Peter is is when Peter was eating with the Jews, uh, he was treating, Paul thought he was treating the Gentiles like second-class citizens. Mm, mm. And I think Council of Mesa is arguing that that Peter was showing some pastoral prudence right. in, in that. I have to go back yeah, and look at the article. Yeah, but it, it yeah. is an interesting, Paul's heart to go out, heart to reach everybody. Yeah. Um, and then the institution's impulse to protect and to safeguard the deposit of faith. And you do see that tension right now, I think, for sure, with Pope Francis. Yeah. And, yeah. and some of the other really good bishops that are saying, whoa, you're going too far. Yeah. And there, there is this tension. Right. We kind of have a pope right now who's, who's a little more like St. Paul. Right. And why, why on earth? I never understood this. He was preaching on the feast of Peter and Paul. Why on earth was Paul sent to the Gentiles? It's like yeah, he's, <laughs> he's right. suited to talk to Jews. He knows the Jewish law. He's a yes. scholar trained, and he should be able to work it. But I know part of his his formula was to talk to the Jewish community yep. wherever he went. Yep. So he was reaching that. Well, he like when you read Acts, I was just reading it recently again. It, um, to me, it looked like in the beginning of his ministry, right after conversion, he's going to the synagogues aggressively. Right. But then there's there's a series of rejections, violent rejections that happen mm-hmm. at the synagogues. And at a certain point, I think he even says, I'm not. I'm not coming back. I'm going to the Gentiles. <laughs> I guess that's what he chose. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, wow, what a history. But uh, so, uh, so you're, it's a struggle, right? You're, you're growing this organization. Mm-hmm. And, and what's the founder doing today? Is he still? Well, he has, he has 11 kids. Okay. And so, uh, for the first couple of years, he was kind of mentoring me into my role. Yeah. I was I was 32 years old when I yeah. took this role, and uh, he was mentoring me into it and showing me what financial statements were and teaching <laughs> me about board of directors and all these things that I didn't know anything yeah. about. Uh, but after a couple of years, he said, "Jason, I have 11 kids. I can't remember how many daughters he has, but over half of them are daughters. Six, yeah. six or seven, six daughters maybe." And um, I'm going to have to pay for their weddings. So it's, it's time for me to go make money. <laughs> so he actually went in. He's a, um, a, business, a mergers uh, and acquisitions, like he, an agent who helps people buy and sell businesses. Yeah. That's wow. what he's doing. Wow. Yeah. But you seem to really, you, you know, you did grow it. Mm-hmm. And you've got like 22 employees, I mm-hmm. think you said. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, were there great lessons for you and your wife there in, in that painful process of 
Well, man, so many, so many times. I mean, money is always an issue. Yeah. And we just saw miracle after miracle with money. You know, mm-hmm. just like it's, uh, it's not a place you you necessarily want to be where you're not sure you'll be able to make your house, next house payment. Or yeah. I never, I never worried about food. I, I did worry about my house a lot, and yeah. we didn't, we didn't overbuy, but it's just a lot, a lot of money every month. Yeah. And um, but man, when when you when you're in that space of complete poverty in your own strength. I can't, there's nothing I can do to make this work. And that's, that's just a place that I've learned God loves, you know, that it's like in second Corinthians uh, 12, when I, my power is perfected in weakness. Mm -hmm. And you just see that over and over. And it's, it's a real gift. I mean, I'm glad not to be there anymore in that financial, in the, that place. But um, so many times there was one time we went to a prayer meeting I needed like two thousand one hundred sixty-two dollars, you know, mm-hmm. for my neck for this bill that was sitting on yeah. my desk. Had no money. Came out of yeah. the prayer meeting, and we had a check for two thousand one hundred sixty-two dollars. Wow. Yeah, I mean, th- things wow. like that happen, <laughs> and that was the clearest example. But so many times, uh, even even personally, we would need money to repair a car. Yeah. yeah. And um, someone would call out the blue and say, "Hey, just felt like." you needed $400. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it happened personally and it happened organizationally. Yeah. Um, but the one, one cool turning point in the whole thing was I, I was desperate for money early on. We just had to be able to pay the next paycheck. And I went to this, the CEO of a bank and we had a great meeting. We talked about, I remember we talked about Catherine of Siena and Teresa Lisieux and, you know, he was a prayerful, holy mm-hmm. man. Um, talking about praying for his kids and and the trials of his kids. And we had a great conversation. At the end, I asked him for $5,000. And he said, well, Jason, let me think about the money. But let me tell you, you don't need money. (laughs) That's not what you need. And I said, yeah, I I need money. Trust me, I'll show you the financial statements. I need money. I I need money. And he said, no, you probably do need money, but if you're praying for money, you're praying for the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. What you need to pray about is people. Yeah. You need God to send you people. Yeah. And I don't know if he said that because he didn't like me or what. <laughs> 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 but, um, but he planted that seed. And I went back to my spiritual director and, and told him about the conversation. My spiritual director said, I think that's right. I think that is what you need right now. Mm-hmm. You need people. And um, so pray this prayer, he said. And I'll never forget it. And I think it's a beautiful prayer. Uh, Jesus, if this work pleases you and you wish wish it to succeed, send people. (laughs) And I just prayed that prayer every day. I wrote it down. My spiritual director gave gave it to me. I I prayed it every day. And um, that's when he started sending people. Wow. Yeah, and it was just because I felt trapped. I felt like I I had to raise money to pay the bills. I had to do ministry to raise money. And I just couldn't do it all. And I was stuck. It was like I had I had horses pulling on both arms, yeah, yeah. Uh, and but then the Lord the Lord just started working it out, and people people came and said, "Hey, I'll raise my own money. Can I work with you?" Wow. <laughs> you know, you just started having these generous yeah. people, yeah. and so our our early years are just built based on the people God sent who would who would sacrifice with us and raise money and and help. And do you think you know the the young kid racing around the motorcycle looking for thrills and everything do you think some of that energy helped you to take on something so oh, impossible? yeah for sure 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I am blessed with a, a gift of, of courage and fortitude. Yeah. And um, I, have, I have failed and I've learned some hard lessons because I'm not, guessed, I'm not blessed with the gift of prudence. So mm-hmm. I, have to, I have to surround myself with people who are prudent yeah, so yeah. that they, they check my, the risks that I want to take. But okay. it's definitely helpful when you're, when you're building something Right. to to not be risk averse and I'm, right. and I'm not and mm-hmm. so yeah I think I think the the old motorcycle guy mm-hmm. was kind of built to take a risk like this and yeah. and persevere and then you mentioned to me too you've got a lot of women on your staff and you wanted to have more women yeah why is that well we we coach professional staff in mm-hmm. the church and most of them are women and so mm-hmm. um the guys that we had on staff were doing great. They yeah. were they were doing great, but yeah. um, I just wanted I wanted to have women who could go deeper with yeah. the women that we were coaching, yeah. uh-huh. and so um, so yeah. Again, that was another point of of, of the story is like I had tactics I had all these on how to manipulate the priest, the pastors. What's that? <laughs> tactics on how to manipulate. Oh, the women pastor. are great at that. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting. Sometimes with priests, women are helpful, and sometimes you know you need a man. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there's definitely a difference in the way that it, you know, as, as you know, there's a difference in the way I relate to men and women. Right. Um, right. But with a with a priest, there's a there's a fraternity you can have with a priest as a man that yeah. that uh, a, a good priest will be a little more guarded. Right. Um, but also. Uh, you know, women are kind of a breath of fresh air sometimes too, yeah. like holy women. Um, right. So anyway, I wanted more women, started praying for women and God started sending women. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's just been so faithful at, at every point like that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm interested too, like in, like, so when you work with someone from the parish that you're going to show them how to set up a meeting to train or to form others, and you cover a definite set of topics, mm-hmm. right? What are those topics? Well, there's 12 weeks. Um, I'll, I'll share this. We have um, we have 10 heart and habits of mission, mm-hmm. and they're they're split up into three categories. One is uh, connection to Christ. One is relationships, and one is intentional disciple making. So they're 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 stacked. Okay. The base is connection to Christ, uh-huh. and so there. Are, see if I can remember them. The three, the three topics for connection to Christ are intimacy with Jesus, sanctify your ordinary life, and through prayer and fasting. So those are the three topics that fall under connection with Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the base. So we, we're not going to be fruitful for not connected to Jesus. Right. He says, you know, if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. If you, without me, you can do nothing. So that's the base. Those would be the first three mm-hmm. kind of habits we cover. And then the next level up is relationships. And, and so with relationships, there are different habits within relationships that we can have for mission. So the first habit is uh, meet people where they are. And that's just... Um, oh no, the first habit is invest in relationships. So the, the first step to evangelizing in the world is simply spend time in the world. You know, don't just be a, a garage door open, garage door shut neighbor. 
don't don't just be in your home. Mm-hmm. Be out in the neighborhood, talking mm-hmm. to your neighbors, getting to know them. Invest, invest in yeah. relationships. Bring your neighbors cookies. Have them over for dinner. Yeah. Coworkers, be right. thoughtful. Invest in the really play racquetball with your colleague. You know, yeah. invest. That takes time. That's a sacrifice, mm-hmm. uh, but that's the front line of evangelization. After establishing a prayer life, we have to do that. Mm-hmm. Then it's meet people where they are. And so, um, so once I'm investing in a relationship, I figure out where where they're at spiritually, and I don't I don't um, I don't go beyond that. Mm-hmm. You know, if I if I'm investing in a relationship with my colleague. And we're both lawyers, and I know he's a you know he's a pro-choice Democrat who has a gay son. Mm. You know, I'm not going to go off about the about my time praying in front of Planned Parenthood. Right. You know, right. I, I'm not going to go off about um, how uh, how frustrated I am with the LGBT movement in society. Right. right. I'm I'm going to meet him where he's at. So right. I want to find out where he's at. Uh, is he open to God at all? Uh, do I know any areas of need or pain in his life that I can accompany him through? Yeah. And just I'm gentle, meeting yeah. him where I'm at. I don't want to make him a culture warrior overnight. You know, yeah. I want to I want to lead him to the Lord in his time gently. And maybe too, would it be like truly just loving him? Yes, exactly. You know, not yeah. looking at him as a target. A That's goal. right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It seems like women can bring that to the fore. They're very good with just yes. one on one. Yes, and just being present. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a thing about men we have to recover. You know, like uh-huh. there, there was an article written recently that I read that talks about how men aren't very good friends anymore. Right. You know, they get together, they drink beer, they yeah, watch football. Yeah. They don't really talk about life. Right. They talk about work. They they gripe about work. Um, but like male friendships in the world are really rare mm-hmm. now. And so I think part of it as, as believers is to, to model uh, a, a deep friendship with people who aren't believers because they likely have not experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I think, too, one thing I, I reflect on, you know, how women are just, they're very relational, mm-hmm. and that's that's like their interest. That's their curiosity. I, I get with my mom. She, she lives in the area here, and so she's telling me about this person, that person, mm-hmm. the family. That's her. That's what gets her up in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And it's right. like, and it, you know, they're just you're always like pumping energy into this thing, and it, it kind of. And I've seen the role in the family of like grandmothers and everything. They just have a way of bringing everything into orbit around them you know yeah. the thanksgiving dinner the christmas dinner you know they they continually are pulling the family mm-hmm. together yeah and, uh, but what what well i don't want to well what do, what do you think men do bring to it <laughs> i mean they uh i mean i think they're good with the teaching and maybe explaining the faith and um, well i think i think men have a deep hunger for relationships this yeah. this article said that um because male friendships are not always super um, functional and, yeah. and vulnerable and deep yeah. in the yeah. world that men men do lean heavily on girlfriends mm-hmm. on um, sisters on moms on you know women right. colleagues it gets right. them in a lot of trouble yeah. you know with affairs yeah 
because they don't have outlets for their relationality among other men. Oh, I see. And yeah. so I think there is a deep longing for relationality and vulnerability and deep connection with men, but they're just used to getting it from women and they're not used to getting it from men. Yeah. Um, but men, men can do that without being weird. You know, right, right. it's just, you know, how's, how's your son doing? Yeah. What's your son up to? It's a yeah. matter of asking questions and being curious enough. Right. That's really the lack of connection is, is we're doing stuff together as men. You know, yeah. we're doing stuff, but we're not deeply connecting with each other. Yeah. And it, sometimes that takes more time yeah. with men. You know, like I have, I have a canoe trip that I go on with guys every year. And, you know, it, it, for the first uh, half a day, we're just joking around being right. stupid right you know but by that evening around the bonfire conversations start to get real yeah whereas maybe maybe more relational women would jump right into it in the right. band they'd already been be hitting it right. you know um yeah but so some of it might be differences in sexes but i think i think it's i think it's a difference in what's accept what what's prominent culturally it's a it's a big deal yeah. you know the yeah and men that's why i think one of the real ways we can be witnesses in the world as as christian men as catholic men is just by deepening our friendships deepening our relationships because i really don't think a lot of people are experiencing it yeah yeah that's a good point so like that investing in the relationship yep what is that what has been successful for guys to connect with other guys or um just getting to know your neighbor just Asking the questions or just yeah. Time, yeah, questions is a big deal. Uh -huh. Time yeah. is a big deal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if I was getting to, to to know a colleague at work, I would look for uh, you know a common interest. Yeah. Um, that's why I mentioned racquetball. You know, because yeah. because that if 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 I find out somebody liked racquetball, yeah, you know, I want to do that. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and it's great because then we're talking when we go over there. We're we're probably not talking a lot during the game, but we're establishing familiarity. So that I can say, hey, what are you doing after work? You want to grab a beer real quick before you go home? Yeah. And then the conversation can go deeper that yeah. way. Or I can yeah. have his family over for dinner to get to know him better. Yeah. Um, so you have to kind of you have to invest in the time, ask yeah. questions, care about people, so that the 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 relationship can go deeper. Right. Right. Yeah. And then the faith. I don't know if it's the third. I don't want to jump ahead. Yeah. But. So then the next the next level up, uh -huh. it, it, it kind of works. Meet people where they are. At a certain point, you can ask people their experience of God. You can ask about their experiences of uh -huh. God. So this is after you've really built a strong relationship with somebody who you're not sure what their level of faith is. You know, and maybe by now you know they call themselves spiritual but not religious. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they're one of those people. But yeah. I would be curious, you know, as their friend, well, hey, Jack, you know, you shared with me your spiritual but not religious. I'd love to hear, have you have you had experiences of God, like a sunset or yeah. like the birth of your first child or, right. you know, what, what experiences of God have you, have you had? I'd love to hear, yeah. you know, what that looks like for you. Um, that's awesome because then you're not, you're not preaching to them your experiences of God first. You're seeking right. to understand them first right. before you're seeking to be understood. Right. And that just builds credibility. It also helps you know how, how you can relate to them in your experiences of God. Mm. So the next level up would be share your good news. Mm. So once you've asked them their experiences of God, 
now there might come, maybe not in that same conversation, maybe you just let it be and you just kind of listen for the Holy Spirit to know, you know, should I, should I talk now or should I honor their experience by not talking right. and just say, man, that's awesome. Thanks yeah. for sharing that with me. And that can be really powerful just to leave it at that, that affirmation. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And, and even, I'll, I'll say this, even if he were to say something weird, yeah. you know, like, man, I'll tell you the other day I was, I was at my house and my cat walked by and I realized it was my grandma. <laughs> you know, and I realized, I realized God existed because how else could my grandma be in my cat? <laughs> you know, it could be something At stupid. At that point, you put your beard down. Oh, yeah, yeah. You put your beard down and you say, come Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even, even with that, I would say, man, I cannot relate to that. Mm-hmm. But thanks for sharing that with me. That's yeah, crazy, man. Yeah. And then I'd probably crack a joke. Yeah. But I, I, would, not, I would not correct it. I would yeah, not say, yeah. well, you know incarnation is not in the bible the church specifically right. forbids believing that you know i would not correct it i would i would just honor it because yeah. it's their experience right and if you if you correct it if you come against it right then yeah. you'll shut them off you'll never right. have another chance right so it all of this is a matter of just little by little trusting the holy spirit and then you can bet i'm going to go home that night and i'm going to say lord please demolish this horrible worldview that my brother has because <laughs> right, right. he should not believe this. So yeah. give me wisdom to know how to speak into this, you know, help him to see this isn't a, a right belief. And, you know, I'd yeah. be praying about that, but yeah. I would not, I would not correct it in that moment. Yeah. That's a hard thing for a lot of people. They yeah. feel like they, they should correct it on the spot, but it's not, it's not going to get the job done. It's not right. going to, they're not going to, they're not going to say, "Oh, really? Okay," because you know they're a belie- they're an unbeliever. They don't care. So, is the ideal maybe at some point they would ask you? Yes. More? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the 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 habit is um, share your good news. Right. It's really just be ready to share your good news. Right. Be ready, because in Saint Paul says this um, uh, in uh, in First Peter three fifteen. He says, um, always be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have. Mm-hmm. And, and so this habit, share the good news, is really a matter of being ready. Right. Be ready to share the good news. So if someone said, why do you go to church? You know, the right answer isn't, that's just what I do. You know, the, yeah. the right answer for someone in the world who's not a believer isn't that because I long to receive the precious body and blood of my Lord Jesus in the Eucharist. Right. They don't understand that. Yeah. So yeah. the right answer is something like, you know, I, I just need peace and strength for my week. And I just find that, that mm-hmm. God gives me that when I go to Mass. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that makes me think. Yeah. Like, oh, man, yeah. I, need, I need that. Yeah. And so um, be ready to share your good news. That's good yeah. news. That's why mm-hmm. I go to Mass, because there's good news there. Yeah. So I'm ready to share it in an accessible way with people when they ask. I remember one time listening to Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> being interviewed. I think it was like on NPR. And, you know, so he's got all this, made a ton of money with Seinfeld. And he's, he's doing some other projects. But basically he talked about how his kids, you know, how kids are, I don't know if he's got one child or more, but he said that they, he said they're great. He said, you know, they really, they keep you from blowing your head off. (laughs) (laughs) Incentive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I thought, uh, 
I don't know. Yeah, that's a stark way to put it, but it really, to me, it really does. Sometimes it's like, I don't know. Sometimes you just feel like there's such a battle and there's such mm-hmm. there's such a possibility of depravity within us. Yeah. And, you know, it, it it just seems like it's a tighter rope we're walking than what we realize sometimes, yes. you know. Yes, and, uh, yes. But yeah, I would imagine, like non-believers especially, that would be a... I, I think I shared with you before the show. I was just in a restaurant with some friends and I just saw this young waitress, you know, going back and forth and... And she just looked like she just had this, this inner pain in her, mm. you know, and with a lot of tattoos and stuff and all this. And it just, and you know, I prayed for her just personally. Um, but, I, you know, I, I've wondered, I was thinking later, you know, should I have said something or you know, whatever? But yeah. uh, it was just, I just, I'm just, I guess what I'm just trying to say, it just seemed like there's so much pain and suffering out mm-hmm. there, you know, mm-hmm. in our culture right yeah. now, especially. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that's the thing to ask the Lord to give us more more empathy. Like yeah. you felt empathy for her. Yeah. You know, not not um not that our worldview cuz some we get caught up in in the the lies of our culture, in the ideologies of our culture, mm-hmm. in the the political worldviews of our culture. We get caught up in these things and and those things make us want to fight. You know, those things make us want to argue. Yeah. And um, that doesn't elicit empathy. That elicits yeah. anger. Right. But, um, and not that we don't pay attention to that stuff. It's good to be informed. But to focus our, our prayer energy with the Lord, not on how can I combat those things, but um, Lord, give me greater empathy for the world. What What is your heart for the world? Your sacred heart yeah. beats. Yeah. For this world it burns for this world what what give me your feelings give me your compassion for the world right that's that's the posture that's yeah. going to take us places yeah you know i just i inter- we interviewed mary everstadt on life on the rock and she was kind of the new book you know adam and the adam and eve and the pill revisited and so it's got all these stats of sociological studies factors about the effects of the sexual revolution and and you know she comes across as real academic, but uh, I was listening to some other podcasts with her, and she mentioned like that compassion that she feels for young people that are so wounded by the sexual revolution. Yeah, and she makes that point. Yeah, it's how we have to come. You know, we shouldn't. She didn't like the whole the snowflake culture label and stuff because she was saying like they are hurting. You know how mm. we how are we speaking into that? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It seemed like a real kind of maternal yeah. thing. But if you really, if your goal is to help people, do we go in there with love or do we go right. in there with some right. kind of vengeance right. or right. something? Right, exactly. Know? But um, so sharing the good news, give a reason, uh, affirm what's good there, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, yep. and uh, was there another point on that? Yes. Or, well, the um, the next level up would be. Um, to be to know how to facilitate discipleship environments, we call them discipleship environments. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not to know how to give a good talk, or to know how to teach a good lesson. It's how can I get a group of people together in an environment where people are going to grow in discipleship, an environment of friendship, an environment of intimacy, an environment of acceptance, an mm-hmm. environment where there is truth. You know, there, there are the scriptures, there is the catechism, 
but it's it's not teaching it's it's encountering it's an mm-hmm. encounter and and so to to be able to facilitate an environment of encounter mm-hmm. a discipleship environment mm-hmm. that's that's the next step mm-hmm. so once i have a relationship with somebody i've asked them about their experiences of god and and it's been great to hear those experiences yeah. no matter how weird and right. then they've asked me, "Hey, what about you? What's your, you know, why do you go to mass? Why do you, mm-hmm. why do you read your Bible mm-hmm. at noon at work?" And um, and I share good news with them. At a certain point, that person is going to be ready to come to my house for a small group, okay? You know, yeah. or or get together with me one on one to right. so that I can share with him, um, you know, really what changed my life. Mm. And so a one on one can be an encounter you know, a, a space of encounter and growth. Um, a group of three or four can be a, a mm-hmm. place of space uh, for encounter and growth, but, you know, a group of 10 or 12 can be too. But much bigger than 12, you don't have a discipleship environment anymore because then you have consumers. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have people entering in, participating, encountering. You have people sitting in the back listening and, and consuming. Ah. And so that's kind of, it needs to be small enough where everyone can give of themselves, where everyone can bring their perspective, where everyone yeah. can be changed by the, the conversation and no one's sitting in the sidelines consuming. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a discipleship environment. And we spend a lot of time training people in how to do that, how to, how to facilitate a discipleship environment. Twelve, huh? Yeah, twelve's the max. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, probably a really good facilitator could do fifteen or sixteen, but actually, we we find that a really good facilitator is challenged to do twelve. Ah. Yeah. So Jesus was a small group facilitator. The best. <laughs> the best. That's why he could do twelve. Yeah. <laughs> so they, so they would have this encounter, and so there's a. It's not forever group, right? It's uh, right. Yeah, so it's for a period of time. Yeah, usually, yeah, because yeah. it's it's easily it's easier to I can't get my neighbor to commit for life. Yeah. So I I I my ask is, hey, for the next six weeks, I've got a bunch of friends coming to my house yeah. to talk about living life at a deeper level. We're going to use the scriptures as a point of departure. Yeah. Are you interested in coming? I'd love yeah. to have you. It'd be great. Yeah. You know, I know I know you're not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my friends are. There's a couple of guys coming who are kind of on the edge. I think you'll you'll like everybody. Yeah. So it'd be great. It'd be great to have you. We'd yeah. we'd love to have it, and we'd love to have your difference of opinion there, and just have you enter. You know, chiming in with your perspective. It'd be awesome. And most people say yes to that. And what I love what you do too is, like, when you're forming the three month formation period. You have them write a list and pray about like who does God want you to yes. to reach and yep. speak to. I yep. thought that was really powerful saying yep. that. that yep. uh, I mean, I kind of just like wander through whatever God throws. You know, <laughs> it says someone for spiritual direction or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, that's I, I I get tired of the word intentional, but it's like <laughs> that is very intentional. Yes. Right? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the one of the phrases. So there's a ministry called Alpha. Uh, there's Alpha in a Catholic context, and they have a phrase that I think is really good. They say, um, "If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, we fail." Mm. And um, and so that's kind of the idea. Is yeah, yeah. I could randomly pick a person in my life. Yeah. But um, 
but I, I very well might fail if I just if I do that. But yeah. it's better to ask the Holy Spirit to lead me to the person that He wants, or like yeah. have have their name on a piece of paper stand out to me, or or come upon a chance conversation with them that shows me, right. oh, I think the Holy Spirit wants me to invite this person. You yeah. know, yeah. you just want Him to lead you okay. in that because then you'll be fruitful. Right. Or, right. or if you're not fruitful, it'll be used for your good. <laughs> you know, it'll yeah. it'll it'll teach you something that he wants you to know. Yeah. Because he led you into failure, which yeah. he does sometimes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the, the thing about that. Yeah. Yeah. So then the next step after the yeah, then the last one is establish disciples. Okay. So. Let's just say your atheist neighbor, you know, you, you went through the steps and you got him in your small group and he says to you, man, I, I think I want to, I want to be a Christian. I want to believe in Jesus. I want to be a disciple, whatever, you know, whatever yeah. he says. And then you, you help him start to pray and give his life to the Lord. Um, but you got to show him that, you know, because a believer is not a disciple. Hmm. You have to, you have to help people become a disciple. They have to know the basic practices of discipleship. They have to know how to pray, how to read the Bible, how to, how to receive the sacraments, what's going on there. They have to know about the importance of community. They have to know to fight against their vice. They have mm. to know about the, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. <laughs> you know, they've mm. got to know about certain basic things yeah. or they're going to get eaten alive. Right. So, um, so that last step is, is equipping people to establish disciples. Mm. So... Um, so that when someone becomes a believer that you've been walking with, you have the skills to walk them not only into believing, but into discipleship. Mm. And what resources? Are there certain resources, books you guys use for that? We do. Yeah. Well, we have small, small group resources. Mm -hmm. And then online we have a, a, a great free resource that we mm. spent a lot of money on just to help mm. people, help people yeah. establish disciples. It's called uh, ecnextstep.com, ecnextstep.com, mm. and it's awesome. So there's guides there to help people learn how to pray. Mm -hmm. There's videos, testimonies about people who have learned how to pray, and it, it's, just, um, mm. it's just there to help establish disciples. Okay. Yeah. And would you, how would you, Talk about the success of evangelical Catholic. What have you seen? Or... Well, we're the primary thing we count is how many lay people we trained and equipped for personal apostolates in the world, yeah. for evangelization yeah. in the world. Yeah. And so, um, so last year we trained 1,600, and wow. this year we'll train 2,300. 1,600, wow. Yeah. And that's with, that's, that's with about, um, you know, give or take 150 partnerships. Mm. And so next year we hope to have more partnerships so mm -hmm. that we can equip more lay, lay people. And our goal in 10 years is to, is to train 100,000 lay people. Mm. So we kind of have a path, a path of growth that we're working toward. Yeah. And it's not a, not a growth of, of money. It's not a growth of... Um, reputation, it's a growth of number of lay people trained in the United States. Yeah. Because if we have 100,000 trained, that, that's, um, that's going to make an impact yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. on the country. Yeah. 
And I know the secular world talks about the importance of goals and and I, I know I've experienced it just like working out or if you want to get fit, you know, yeah. to have you know how does it translate to this world here, the spiritual world? Oh of, man. <laughs> well what we do every year is we reevaluate it. Uh-huh. So um, so we're gonna have a uh, we'll we'll have a leadership team yeah. retreat next week actually. Mm-hmm. And we'll just pray through our goals again and, yeah. and look at what the Holy Spirit did with us this year and what he want to do next year. Yeah. And based on what we see him doing, are we still thinking that's what he wants us to shoot for? Right. I, don't, I don't think that's what he necessarily wants us to attain. Mm-hmm. You know, But every year I just ask, well, what does he want me to shoot for? Right. Because if I'm shooting for something in 10 years, it, it dictates what I'm doing this year. Yeah. to get there and yeah. so so the the end goal is not it's not my idol it's just a way of you know pointing in a direction and yeah. building things out in a certain way right. so um so yeah we're 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 always rediscerning it you know we might get together this year and say that's the wrong goal or mm-hmm. that's the wrong metric but i mean yeah. that's really our charism so it's not the wrong metric that's all we want that's all we want is mm-hmm is more lay people in the world who can lovingly share Jesus with people at the right times. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's all we want. Yeah. So that's the, it's the right goal to send lay people into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the numbers game, yeah. the Holy Spirit, you know, for, in First Peter, I think it's First Peter, maybe Second Peter, uh, what, what takes us a day, uh, what we think uh, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. Right. Uh, what what uh, the Lord can accomplish in a day, what we think is going to take a thousand years, hmm. and vice versa. Some things we think are going to be easy took us five years to do. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. it's not always. He doesn't always work to the advantage that we see. You know, he's got yeah. a bigger thing going on. And have you all gotten some good recognition or kudos or? Uh, you know, maybe some Catholic rock stars. You know, well, I'm, you or... <laughs> I'm friends with a lot of great yeah. people yeah. who are very supportive. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've been we've been published, mm-hmm. you know, in in different places. Yeah. Um, but pretty much, we've just been working with our with our ministries. We haven't yeah. spent a lot of time. I did I did a bunch of interviews last spring. Um, and I love I love talking about it. I love yeah. talking about the lay vocation. Um, yeah. So I did a lot of a lot of interviews last spring, and then um, some some interviews this year. Yeah. Uh, we have a great Episcopal advisory board that that's very supportive. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, saw Bishop Ricken, right? Or yeah, yeah. Habda, and you had some big yeah. Habda Brolio yeah. is is a great friend of ours. And he's back east, right? Brolio's in D.C. Yeah, he's the archbishop for the military services. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right, right. So he's all over the world. Yeah. He travels like 270 days a year or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been great talking with you. It's been really informative for me. And uh, just keep up the great work. Thank and you. Definitely. Uh, Need disciples and conversion. And <laughs> yeah. And I like we were talking before too. I think just. I think there's so many people that want to do something. Mm-hmm. They just don't know how. They need the training or whatever. To, yeah. But so. Well, definitely, if if people want to 
want to grow in all of this, uh, you can learn a lot at, at the ecnextstep.com. Okay. And then check out our website. Uh-huh. And we have some things available there as well. And we have a YouTube channel. So there's, there's some resources out there. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, Father Mark. Yeah.